Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. There is absolutely no difference between a dog that you buy from a breeder and a dog that you rescue. And I think you're far more likely, in my experience, to have a dog that you rescue that will be more grateful, more loving, have less health issues, and will have a lot more to give. Hello and welcome back to Beautiful Lives, the podcast in which I, Madeline Spencer, invite a guest to reflect on the parts of their life story where beauty rituals or products have played a role and how what they saw in the mirror or perceive they saw in the mirror has had an impact. Today, I'm joined by Nikki Tibbles, who, after a short stint in advertising fresh out of uni, started to work in floristry, drawing on her native skills to create a brand that became the A-listers go-to for flowers. In 2015, Nikki decided to embark on a new adventure fueled by her love of dogs, the Wild at Heart Foundation, a charity with the aim of compassionately bringing to an end the world's 600 million stray dog problem by organising rescue projects and neutering programmes, as well as working on education initiatives. To date, the Wild at Heart Foundation has rehomed 1,175 dogs, one of whom is my rescue beagle pointer Monty, and sterilised over 16,000 worldwide. Between the business, the foundation, and looking after her six rescue dogs, Nikki's time is precious and her approach towards beauty reflects that, with her routine being simple and practical. In today's episode, we talk about Nikki's work and ambitions, where beauty fits in, and of course, chat a fair amount about dogs. Here's Nikki. So, having read about the things you've done in your life, I just felt very impressed and wondered where your drive and ambition came from and if it had its roots in your childhood. Um, I guess everything in our lives sort of has roots in our childhood. I was fortunate to grow up with a really loving family when my father worked so hard um, to send us all to school, you know, to private school. Uh, My father was a carpenter. Um, My mother was a hairdresser. But they obviously wanted, I guess, more for their kids or for us for me than maybe they had and my father worked really hard and he loved animals and that's where my great passion for my love of animals has come from and my mum was always you can do better so I guess and I guess also I wanted more than they had you know I didn't want to be living in Bristol and just going to work and coming home, I wanted to actually do something that would be, for me, life-changing, always. When you say your mum said to you, you can do better, do you think that came from her own experience of life and that she wanted more for you? Or do you think she saw something in you that she decided might propel you forward? I think there's a bit of both because... 
there was also a bit of feeling that whatever I did was never good enough. Okay. You know, she was, I mean, I love my mum and we had a tricky relationship. My relationship with my father was much more... I mean, I love my father so much. I mean, I would literally sit in his workshop when he was creating things or I'd bring a bird home with a broken wing and my father was there and, you know, we'd go out for a walk and there were more stray dogs around and we'd bring dogs home. And Whereas sort of my mum was more, I guess, um, you know, you you can... It was never It was never really good enough. And I could always do better. And I think that's probably stayed with me to a certain degree. And did that spread into the way that you looked, given that she was a hairdresser? I'm wondering if she was someone for whom appearances were quite important. Mm, I don't think so, because I've never... You know, I've always had short hair. Hmm. I barely wear any makeup. Um, I look after my skin. I always have. Because uh, I hate the thought of getting older, getting older. One could always turn back time, but I, I don't think so. I mean, my mum, you know, she was yeah, did her hair and wore lipstick, and but I don't come mm. from a sort of makeupy background. And I think the work that I do, just you know, when I first started my business, you know, I would be up at three or four in the morning and mm. work. All, I mean, I don't have time for makeup. Mm-hmm. I guess, and I, because I've always had short hair, I think it's something about having short hair and wearing loads of makeup for me is a bit odd. So, did you have short hair when you were quite young then? I think I had, I used to have a ponytail until I was about 11, mm. and then I've always had short hair. Interesting. Was there someone that was modelled on? No, just, okay. I just, I, I, I don't own a hairbrush. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I've never. Can't remember owning a hairbrush or a comb. How liberating! Yeah, just <laughs> put my hands through my hair and that's it. And you're done. And I'm done. Okay, so at what point did you decide that flowers were going to, or floristry was going to play a big part in your life? Well, like a lot of things that you fall into, you know, I sort of worked in, and I always wanted to do something creative, and um, my parents. I used to do a lot of sport when I was younger. So, I mean, I guess that's also partly where, you know, a lot of my, if I have drive, it's come from, because I used to train every day. And, you know, and again, I was, I'm very competitive. And I'm really, really, I am really competitive (laughs) still, you know. Um, So, I guess I sort of fell into advertising when I left university. And I really wasn't very good at it but I wanted to work in a creative environment even though my background wasn't creative because my parents wanted me to be a teacher so that was what they wanted for me and that's the sort of way I sort of went but working in advertising I didn't enjoy it and I wasn't very good at it and um did that bother you someone who's competitive and driven yeah absolutely but also I didn't believe in it Mm. I think the amount of money that was spent on trying to persuade someone to smoke more cigarettes or drink milk or go to work on an egg. It's quite all those dated campaigns of food and whatever. But, um, 
yeah, and and that, and I didn't like the sort of innate arrogance that I found there was in advertising at that time. Mm. But I did meet some great people, and a friend of mine was getting married, and she asked if I'd help with flowers for her wedding. And I thought, actually, that's quite nice because, you know, I've always been interested in art and architecture and fashion and design and all of those things. Mm. So I did the flowers for her wedding and I really loved it. Then her sister got married and I did flowers for her wedding, but I had no idea what I was doing. And I really enjoyed it. So I gave up my job in advertising Mm. and I went to work in a flower shop in the North End Road for like £2 an hour. Mm -hmm. And that's... And I had to go to the only the only way they'd take me on to work was if I went to like a sort of flower course or a flower school one day a week or one evening a week Mm -hmm. so I tried Southwark College where obviously I was old enough to be sort of like most uh, one of the girls there old enough to be their mother and I spent like how old were you at that point um I was about 30 okay um and um uh and and I literally spent Five days, you know those big plastic bows you used to get on those interflora things. Literally spent five days learning how to make one of those. Seriously, did my head in. <laughs> and then I tried another course where I had to make a water lily out of a pair of white tights, and I just thought, what am I doing? I don't need any of this. I have this passion for colour and texture and print and all of those things. I just go and do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And at, then at that time, the island, Turquoise Island, became available. In Nottingham. In Nottingham. Mm. And that's when I think my sort of background in advertising came into play because I put this mood board together of how I wanted this store to look and the flowers I wanted to sell and how I was going to wrap them. And I sent it off, sent off this application. And I literally got a phone call at something like 6 o'clock the next morning because it's run by the Portobello Market Trade Holders Association or whatever mm-hmm. and I had to go to the council offices and uh, they gave me a key and I opened the following week. What year was that? Um, it's about 20, it was 23 years ago. Yeah. So Notting Hill was in the midst of this incredible Absolutely. period at yeah. that point. Yeah. So did business flourish straight away because of that? It yeah. did help. It, I mean, it did help. We had quite a lot of competition around at the time. Mm. You know, and there's always been the flower store at Portobello, and then it, there were quite a few flower shops around here. But I think, I mean, the great thing about doing something like flowers is that you send someone a beautiful bouquet of flowers, then you'll get noticed. Mm. And there, there weren't that many florists then. You know, had amazing people like Jane Packer and Paula Pryke and Stephen Woodhams and Rob Van Helden and John Carter and the wonderful lady, um, Howard Hodgkin's wife, who had the flower van. You know, there were some great people, but not the thousands of florists that there are around today. Um, and I just opened the island and I only bought flowers I liked and I put them together in a way that I liked and we sort of had great people obviously Notting Hill was busy and Mm -hmm. you know you send a bouquet to Anna Winter or to the head of PR at Chanel and then they begin to use you and Mm Rifat Osbeck lived up the road and he used us and so you know that's really how we grew and how we got such a great sort of 
And am I right, Zine, you mentioned earlier that you get up very early in the morning to get flowers. I don't do that so much anymore. Not so much anymore, but at the time. (laughs) At the time. At the time you're doing that. So what time were you getting up on average and did that affect your social life and the rest of your life? Um, I probably would be getting up at around 3.34, going to the flower market, doing contracts, and then the island had to be open by 8 every day, Mm -hmm. seven days a week. Um, And we were open from 8 till 8. And then the weekends from sort of 10 till 5 or something. Yeah. Yeah. So would you go straight home and go to sleep then afterwards? Yeah, well, probably, probably not. I mean, I did try and have a life and I had a dog, you know. So it was a bit different in the 90s, wasn't it? I think people weren't quite... uh, The word pies is springing to mind. Maybe that's a bit unfair, but people were a bit more... um, living in the moment maybe and a bit less strict about going to bed and eating in a certain way I mean we'd I'd probably go out straight from closing the shop and go and have a drink with friends or you know go out with my dog for a a Mm. walk or you know I I don't remember my being in bed by sort of seven o'clock every evening I had to get up at three Lots of celebrity clients clientele I've got here that you did um, Guy Ritchie and Poppy Delevingne's wedding You did um when you have a big commission like that and it's riding on you, are you someone who gets stressed or do you take it in your stride? I don't get stressed with my work mm-hmm. because I love it so much. I feel very lucky that I'm able to do something that I love. And I'm always quite... I feel confident that I would... If I were to let someone down or not provide what people are expecting I would be absolutely devastated so that has never happened and it's really nice that most people would say to us that we go above and beyond what's expected right. and that's really important to me so it doesn't know I don't get stressed about working doing what I do because I love it and I I would never yeah, no. Mm-hmm. Which flowers do you personally like? I love anything that's quintessentially English, that's natural. I love nature, everything about nature, mm. colour, texture, the, the way you see 50,000 shades of green and a, a flower that grows next to another flower and the different shades of pink and a foxglove. You know, all of those things I love so much, which is... Mm you know, sort of another reason why I love what I do so much, because it changes. Mm. You know, I have a very short attention span um, for most things. But with my work, it's like the flowers are different every day. Our clients are different every day. The venues are different. Every brief is different. People want different things. Mm. And it's always interesting and exciting. Mm. And... Again, I've met some incredible people, worked in some amazing venues, travelled with my work, and it's enabled me to have, you know, a life where I've been able to also give something back to and set up my own charity. Yeah. We're going to come to that in a moment. I just want to ask you a couple more flower-related questions. Yeah. The first one being, does it inform which scents you like? Are you someone who will always pick up a floral perfume or indeed, do you even wear perfume? I had a fragrance made for me by Lynn Harris oh. a very long time ago, which was a gift from Kathleen Bedmurray, who is a beauty editor at Vogue, I believe, at the moment. 
her daughters, my goddaughters. So we've been friends for a very long time. And it was a really amazing experience because you, you know, I went through this whole list of fragrances that I loved. So I love the smell of garden roses. And there are those sweets called cherry lips and violets and amber because that's in talcum powder. You know, that sort of... So I have a fragrance that was made for me by Lynn, which I still wear and love. Mm-hmm. And then I have another great friend called Timothy Han, who has a fragrance that he's all based on books. And I wear his fragrances more now, but they are definitely not floral, mm-hmm. which I quite like. You know, and I always have this thing about buying a fragrance from someone who makes perfume. So nothing in my being would buy a fragrance from Calvin Klein or Armani. You know, I I think that you buy a fragrance from, or buy anything from people that that's what they do. When I was little, my father, well not little, little, but when I was about 16, my father bought me Guerlain fragrance Mitsuku, which I wore for years um, and still reminds me of him and my youth and then he bought me Cristal by Chanel so uh, those are the two fragrances I used to wear until I had my own Mm. and then my friend Timothy Han makes amazing fragrance all based on books which is really interesting that is interesting I wouldn't Mm. look into those yeah they're great yeah also your house is very colourful and very yeah. beautiful it feels like a tapestry almost I'm wondering if that comes from the same place as kind of fountain of liking colours and textures and different things being around you yes I sort of think that I mean I, I guess it goes back to that sort of not having any rules mm-hmm. and I'm not scared of putting you know print on print on print on print mm-hmm. you know when I get dressed I'll wear pattern and spots and flowers because I just like what I put together Um, and I love texture and I love colour and I do love different prints and I think that you know anything works if you like it wouldn't be told that I couldn't put this print with another floral because if I liked it I would Tell me about the Wild at Heart Foundation. How did it come into being? Well, (laughs) I have always had an absolute passion and love of dogs and animals. And my father, they said, was amazing with animals. And we always had so many dogs and cats and, you know, hamsters and rabbits and whatever in our Mm. house. And I'd go to bed and my parents would inevitably find me downstairs sleeping with my dogs um, and I always have had a dog, a rescue dog. I've never, we never bought a dog when we were growing up. We always had rescue dogs. When I went off to university, I got a rescue dog from Canal Street Rest Dog Home in Birmingham. At university? Mm-hmm. How did you look after it? Were you in home? I used to take him to lectures with me. He used to come everywhere with me. And then I've, there's never been a time in my life when I've not had a dog. And I went to Puerto Rico a while ago and I spent my entire time 
rescuing dogs. Wherever I went, we would go to India and I would spend my time picking up dogs off the street and not knowing where to take them or what to do with them. And when I, w- I went to Puerto Rico, mm. um, you know, I would go and feed dogs and put water out for them. And then we found these two puppies living beside a motorway and I just couldn't leave them. So mm. my then husband, ex-husband, now we he said, Nick, if they're there in the morning, we'll go back and get them. Mm-hmm. So, of course, they were there in the morning because they lived beside a burger van. So I, we smuggled them into the hotel, um, took them to the vet. The vet kept them, and the, someone they were going to try and rehome them, but nobody wanted a street dog in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. as they still don't. There's half a million stray dogs in Puerto Rico, which is why we work there so much. Um, but Rose, I called them Rose and Lily, and um, three months later... I brought them over from San Juan to LA, from LA to Paris, and I smuggled them in through the Channel Tunnel. There had been no evidence of rabies in Puerto Rico then for mm-hmm. 35 years, so I didn't feel I was doing anything too wrong. Lily very sadly died, and when Rose passed away, I promised her, 15 years later, 13 years later, I promised her that I would get another rescue dog from abroad. There isn't a country in this world, really, that I could honestly say, with my hand on my heart, has full respect for dogs. You know, wherever you look at countries with less than no human rights, there are less than less than no animal rights. And I saw things I couldn't unsee. And I wanted to do something because, I think, as I said earlier, I'd my business was going well and I think we should all give back to our world no matter what it is so I decided that I wanted to set up a charity where we would rescue dogs from abroad but the bigger picture being that there are 600 million stray dogs in our world that are not treated humanely or justly needs to be dealt with and the only way we can do that is through high volume sterilization clinics and education. So the premise of the foundation was set up on those three factors. And the rehoming is what well, you know, you have one of our beautiful dogs, Monty. Yeah. So, you know, the rehoming is the wonderful sort of tactile, fluffy icing on it's the icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. It's it's you know, rescuing a dog, you save a life. But for the 600 million street dogs out there, you know, who are fending for themselves on the streets with horrific diseases, abuse, neglect, cruelty, mountains of puppies, for every litter of puppies born within six years, there will be another 67,000 dogs on the street. So the only way forward, really, is Mm. to teach people Mm -hmm. to be kinder to animals to take responsibility and to spay and neuter their animals. Um, And we're running clinics across the world. Our biggest clinic is in Puerto Rico. I think we've just completed our seventh clinic where we have sterilized three and a half thousand dogs in six days. Mm -hmm. And these are owned dogs. So if we start with people who own dogs, Mm -hmm. then it's an educational process too. Right, so they come to you and and you do it for free for them, effectively, yeah. 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 So that that's really how it started because you know I had a dog from Puerto Rico mm-hmm. and um, when she passed away I made a promise to her. How do you educate people to be kinder to animals? 
well, how do you mean to educate people yeah. to be kinder to people? Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think that if you, you teach people to be kind and to be compassionate, and a, la- a lot of it is lack of education. You know, certainly in countries like Puerto Rico, there, there isn't so much cruelty. It's just that people just don't know. People don't know to sterilize their dogs. People don't know to put water out. You know, a lot of things that we think are common sense. You know, people don't know to not tie their dogs up in the, the burning sun all day. In the same way, you still find people here who lock their dogs in a car mm. on a boiling hot day. You know, it, it, it's just about teaching people mm-hmm. what is often common sense. What would you say about the assertion that it's better? Let's say someone has young kids and they say things like, you know, I'd rather get a dog from a breeder because I'll know its background or I'll know that it's not violent or aggressive or has this trauma. What's your response to that? I think you never know from, you know, I was asked to go on a television programme and talk about this and I girl who was like well I wanted a dog that was you know not going to be any heavier than this that didn't molt that was brown that was going to be this size and whatever you don't know when you get a bred dog there's no difference there is absolutely no difference between a dog that you buy from a breeder and a dog that you rescue and I think you're far more likely in my experience to have a dog that you rescue that will be more grateful, more loving, have less health issues, and will have a lot more to give. Mm. And I think at the moment, obviously, with so many dogs being bred from puppy mills as well, and dogs being overbred, that you really, you, you've do, you don't know what you're gonna get. The more people who buy dogs, mm-hmm. the more dogs will be bred. Mm. And when you consider that you know, we're lucky in this country that I think we euthanize maybe 30,000, 40,000 dogs a year, mm-hmm. which is still 30,000 dogs too many. In the States, it's millions of dogs. So why are we breeding dogs mm-hmm. when we are killing millions of dogs every year in shelters? And that, to me, makes no sense whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know, there are beautiful, extraordinary, amazing dogs in shelters all over the world. In this country, you can go to Battersea, the Dogs Trust, the RSPCA, and if you want to design a type dog, 75% of dogs after Christmas in the RSPCA shelters will be designer dogs. So you, if you want a French Bulldog or a Chihuahua yeah. or any of those types of dogs, you can find them in a rescue too. It still makes me angry to hear, though. I get very frustrated it's shocking. that. Yeah. I mean, it, it is shocking. And, and yes, I mean, you know, the more people buy, the more people will breed because you can guarantee that everything that's wrong with our society is about money and where there's something that is money to be made, there is less than zero animal welfare. Could I ask you about breeds and assumptions made about them? There's a lot of that around where people say these dogs are inherently aggressive or those dogs behave like this. What would you say to people who say that kind of thing? Well, I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is there is no such thing as a bad dog. Um, And does it go back to the sort of nurture over nature moment? I mean, I think there is no such thing as a bad dog. I think Mm -hmm. it's a bad owner. Yeah. Um, I would always say that. I think these bull breed dogs, where there's specific breed legislation, is ridiculously sort of 
wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Pitbulls and I have spent so much time with Pitbulls and Staffies in the various countries that we've worked in and never in my life have I felt so safe and these dogs are so loyal and so stoic, it's mm. unbelievable. Mm. And they have a bad reputation, not because of them, because staff, staffies used to be called nanny dogs. They'd look after children. It's the people that own them now. Mm. And, you know, if you see a dog behaving badly in the park, it's not the dog. It's always the owner. I find it difficult when I walk Monty and people have their dogs off the lead because there's a power imbalance there. And the rule is that they should be on the lead. And I think yeah. if everyone's on the lead, it's fine. And if all the dogs are off the lead. Using that as an example, are there any other key things that good dog owners do? I know that you've said before that routine is quite important for dogs. I think that as a... What, what do we all function best with? With, with being loved, mm-hmm. feeling safe and routine. And that trust element and I think that you know it's like having children I think if if I had children I would treat my say my children in the same way that I treat my dogs mm-hmm. and I think that is quite important you know it's um yeah I mean yeah. I, that's how I would yeah I mean I, my dogs are so important to me and I love them so much but you know, they have their own space, they have their routine, they, they are, you know, they, they literally share my life. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. So you have six dogs? six rescue dogs so you must be very busy talk (laughs) me through just an average day uh well i'm very lucky because i do have some help with them um because they're all huge lenny is Mm -hmm. 65 kilos um and uh but you know we go to the park every day or to Hampstead heath and i have a little house that i rent in the country Mm -hmm. so if they're not in London with me because I'm busy, then they have the best time in the country. Mm. They have a 20-acre field to run around, and it's right on the South Downs. So we'll go out for a walk for hours, and you know they love it. Mm-hmm. And for me, there is nothing more satisfying than a tired dog asleep in front of the fire, and you know that they've just had the best day. Yeah. 
And also, I find that dog walking punctuates my day quite nicely. I mean, I, I walk Monty twice a day. Yeah. Um, and in the middle, my work happens. I mean, I have that luxury because I'm a journalist, so I can work, I can set my own hours. Do you find that when you're walking your dogs, you're more able to manage life? I think so, because it sort of gives you some headspace and it's good to get out and to walk. and to. I mean, I love being outside, which is another reason why I love what I do. I mean, I work outside a lot. Um, and I could be outside all day, every day. So walking my dogs and that sense of freedom and fresh air mm-hmm. and seeing my dogs running around and having the best time is makes me so happy and it's also the one time that I'm not on my phone you know because so many people have so many ways of getting hold of you now if they can't email you or call you they can dm you on instagram (laughs) whatsapp you and send you a message it's like I don't answer my phone when I'm walking my dogs that's our time and bringing it around to beauty again being outside and being engaged and being happy kind of is the best beauty routine ever right like there's nothing you can put on your skin that's going to be as good as that but what do you put on your skin? You didn't mention you care for your skin. <laughs> well, um, I, I sort of fell into a trap a few years ago where I wasn't aware of um, a lot of product that was animal tested and sold in China. So I did an article for Estee Lauder actually, and um, for which they paid me a fee which for the foundation. Um, but they sell in China, and as you know, every product that's sold in China is uh, animal tested. So I have a cruelty in my trying to be vegan life with my zero waste and Mm. all of those things that are so important to me. Um, I try and I use cruelty free products. So I use Barbara Stern products and it's a great place on Westbourne Grove Apology who does amazing facials. Um, and Drunk Elephant I love, Mm. which is a new brand I've just started using. But I do take a lot of vitamins and skin. Anything in particular that you love? Um, I take a lot of vitamin D and B, and I have vitamin C powder for my skin. I probably don't eat as healthily as I should because sometimes I've just been working in Barcelona, Mm -hmm. um, and to find anything that's vegan is... Impossible. Are you wearing makeup now? No. Okay, so if you are going to go somewhere where you wanted to wear makeup, what would you put on? I use Charlotte Tilbury Glow, because again, she doesn't sell in China. Um, And her lip gloss and a blusher. That's it. Nice. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me how you switch off now. Switching off is um, being with my dogs. It would be walking my dogs or... Maybe going for a drink with some friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite hard to switch off. I find switching off a lot harder than I used to before I set up the foundation, because I work all day in my normal job, and I do a lot for the foundation too during the day or with the foundation. And I have an amazing team in both Wild at Heart and with the foundation. But the foundation tends to happen more morning and evening. And I think because of things like Instagram, where I make myself look at things because I want to be able to have a voice and to be able to talk about something 
that's happening in our world knowledgeably. I see a lot of things that I find quite disturbing. Um, so that's why it's sort of harder to switch off, I guess. And like I was saying, you know, people can't get hold of me by calling me. Mm. You know, they'll message me and then they'll D DM me on Instagram and WhatsApp. And, you know, so you, you have five platforms that people yeah. can try and reach you. Yeah. So I do find it harder to switch off. And do you have any tools that you use for that? Is there anything you do to support yourself mentally? Because it is harrowing. And there are... It's a hard thing to see, particularly when you love something so much. And I'm thinking yeah. also of people who are saying now that, say, knowing about climate change and reading about it is playing on their mind. And other yeah. people who, you know, for child cruelty, there's so many examples of, of things course. that go on outside that you can't control yeah. or can only control a little bit that are affecting your mind. So what do you do to, if, if you need to get something out of your head? Um, I read really shit novels <laughs> I, I literally speed read crime novels oh really yeah. like Agatha Christie no like Swedish crime oh. I love I, I mean but I won't pay I, I know I'm not paying attention to what I'm reading um, I mean I love watching box sets I mean Peaky Blinders is one of my favourite programmes of all time I haven't watched any of that yet but people love keep it. telling me that yeah. love it and yeah. Game of Thrones I watched avidly mm-hmm. Um, You're watching The Crown at the moment? No, that's too... Um, no, I'm not. I like things with some edge. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, love a good crime mm-hmm. thing, whatever. But, um, it, it, yeah, I do find it, if I'm honest, I find it harder to switch off because yeah. there's so much going on in our world that makes me very, very sad. Yeah, and now we have, as you were saying, so many people can message you, we have so many ways of knowing about it. It's not just that you'd watch the news now, you can really see a lot. You can see, which is a good thing, because I think that, you know, it makes us, it makes us aware, and I think if you see something, and you see maybe how an animal is slaughtered, but you still choose to eat meat, then at least you've have that information and you're given you you make a choice um but for me i i i just feel i need to see what's going on so therefore i can do something about it Mm. i mean i saw there's an amazing journalist called natasha daly who works for the national geographic and she works sort of uncovering animals in the tourism industry and I don't know how she does what she does. I mean, I find me seeing dogs in not such great Mm. places bad enough, but at least I'm doing something about it, which means I can deal with it better. Um, And I posted an elephant that she had found in a tourism site in uh, Thailand, and it got picked up by Nina Campbell, who knew someone who knew someone who knew someone who had an animal sanctuary in Thailand and we managed to rescue an elephant and that is the power of that's the lovely part of social media that we can actually raise awareness and do something and we rehome quite a lot of our dogs through Instagram and Facebook and social media and we raise a lot of funds also through those channels so 
There's a lot of positives. There's a lot of positives, yes. Before I go on to the final three questions, I just want to ask you about your earrings. There are so many of them glittering mm. at me. <laughs> when did you start and how did they all as come my about? Be- that's my beauty <laughs> regime. Uh, I had my first three about two years ago when Maria Tash first opened, so maybe it was three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it beca- has become a bit of an addiction because <laughs> I have got 10 more to go back in. I've got 35 piercings. In your ears? Yeah. Just, wow. Just my ears, yeah. Do you ever take them yeah. out when you shower or anything? No, they never come out. Wow, they never come out. This has become my thing, and, yeah. but I am running out of space. Yeah, it's great. Will, so will you move never... on? No, you're not going to move on to body. No, absolutely no. not. I no. started out with tattoos. I had one at the beginning of the year. I now have five, and I'm getting a little bit. Yeah, into I've them. got. Uh, I had. I had two or three. Yeah, and then I had two. I went to Berlin a few weeks ago, and I had be kind. I saw that. That's gorgeous. There, yeah, and then here. I have I Believe in Dog. Oh, is that in pink? That's in pink. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. There's a vegan tattooist in Berlin. Oh, I might so have to go there. Go, go. Right. I love a tattoo. I love a tattoo. Oh. I've got quite a few of them. I got that one really recently, which I like. Oh, my, that's beautiful. It's very thin. Yeah, and this one's where, a bit too fat. Where did you get that done? That's in Lisbon. So, what to your mind has been your greatest triumph, career or personal? Um, I, t- oh. I'm very fortunate to have my business. Mm-hmm. Having my foundation and saving lives and trying to make a difference in our world mm-hmm. would have to be my, my biggest pride and joy. And if you could go back to a younger version of you at any age who was struggling with something emotional in business, what would you go back and tell them? Um, always employ people who are better than you. Mm-hmm. And I am terribly dyslexic and I cannot add up a column of figures. It will be completely different every time. So don't try and do everything. Mm-hmm. Get people who are better than you. If, I mean, focus on what you do best. Mm-hmm. You know, I can create flowers for an event, but I can't do my accounts. So, do what you do best always. And the question that stumped you when I asked you about it at the beginning, three people dead or alive who you'd Uh, like to have dinner with and why you would choose those particular people. That's so hard. It's a very hard question. It's a very hard question because it would have to revolve around people that um, are involved in making our world a better place. And there are so many people, and um, I've got to answer that now. I should have thought about this. Um, Okay. Uh, I have met so many incredible people doing what I do um, and making changes. Jill Robinson, who owns and runs Animal Asia, who has and is completely changing the face of bear barrel farming and the life of a dog in the dog meat trade in China and Asia, tirelessly, so much love and respect and admiration for her. I mean, Gandhi, I mean, what a man, but is that too obvious? You know, the man who said you judge a nation by its treatment of animals. Mm. I mean, that's quite special, isn't it? Who would I like sort of 
David Gandhi. <laughs> Why not? He is the nicest man, loves animals, and does so much for so many different charities mm. and is a great ambassador for the foundation. Yeah. He has a rescue dog, doesn't he? He has Dora. Oh, does he? Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, well, I think that sounds like a great dinner party. Is that sort of okay? Yeah, I think I that sounds still great. still think about it. Would it be vegan? Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh my God, thank you for inviting me. I'm very honoured. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 